Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Welcome to summer, where we all look a little ragged in the hot afternoon these days. And your plants, too, especially those that are newly planted. They just might look a little droopy, too. But before you add water, listen to what our favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, has to say. She has some other tips to help any newly installed plants beat the heat. One listener asks, why don't I have any oranges on my citrus trees? Well, there are many possible reasons. We have some advice for getting to the root of that matter. And on a hot day, who doesn't like to stand under a mister? It makes us feel better. But what about your house plants? Indoor garden expert Rafael Delalo says it'll probably do you more good than your house plants. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Hi, Fred. This is Liz. I live in uh, Sacramento, Zone 9B, and I just purchased uh, from the local nursery a, oh, what do you call it, lavender plant and also a sage. I'm sorry, I don't know the exact names, but they're common. The plants were in pots. Each plant is about one foot tall already. Planted them in the yard early yesterday morning. Did fine all day yesterday. Everything was moist, soil prepped. Today, 100-degree weather, they are not looking like they're happy campers. So I'm wondering, obviously, these are drought-tolerant plants. I don't want to overwater. Is this wilting natural, or should I be doing something with them? Thank you very much. Bye. Ah, yes, the hot weather and newly planted items that can lead to a great deal of worry. Debbie Flower is here, America's favorite college horticultural professor. And let's just talk about droopy plants to begin with on a hot summer day. Some with big leaves just droop naturally. I always like to, if you will, hold my weapons, which would be water in this case, and and check in the morning right. and see if they're still droopy. Because sometimes big leaves just naturally droop to conserve water. Right. It can be a protective response. Uh, the place, primary place that plants lose water is on the back of their leaves. That's a real blanket statement. It doesn't apply to every plant, but many of them, majority of them. And so if, if humidity is low, wind is high, heat is strong, sun is strong, or a combination of those things, then the plant can just sometimes wilt in a way to uh, cover the places that where the the water is coming out. Uh, my cucumber did it recently, in the last few days. It's summertime. It's 100 degrees out. Summertime, big leaf, lots of wind, lots of heat. I actually, and the, the answer is, especially for a new, newly planted plant, shade. Yes, there you go. And I actually pulled out my rickety wooden falling apart garden umbrella and stuck it in the vegetable garden and opened it only 
in the afternoon when the sun was super strong on that plant and it had had enough light for the day. Um, wilting can, if, it, if it's prolonged, it can lead to reduced flowering. And so if you're trying to get production out of the plant like a cucumber, you might have a few less cucumbers if you allow it to wilt on a regular basis. But the other thing Liz is facing is the newly planted plant. Mm-hmm. And so it came out of a container, it had roots on it. The roots, if if it was legal to sell, then the roots had touched the inside of the container. So they were right there in front of her. And it causes some damage to those roots when you transplant. You can't get around it. It's not your fault. And so the part that is most damaged in transplanting is the root hairs. And 95 plus percent of the water absorbed by a plant is absorbed through the root hairs. One thing I have learned from you over the years, and it goes back to how to put in a plant... A lot of people will buy a plant, dig a hole, put in the plant, and then water it in. You would strongly suggest wagging your finger. (laughs) Water that hole first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to put it in moist soil. It's difficult for the field soil to get wet once you've put the plant into it. You want to plant proud. We've talked about that. Proud meaning that some of the container soil is sticking out at the top because that container soil will... um, decompose over time and the plant will sink. And then you have the opposite problem with too much water when we get rain. And you want to cut the roots. There are people who go so far as to say, wash all the soil off the roots. So especially on woody plants, which the sage may or may not be. The lavender is not, but there are many different kinds of sage. And woody roots that are circling around the plant will not change direction once you put them in the ground and they can end up choking the plant and killing the plant. So somehow you're going to modify the roots to prevent those circling, girdling roots on a woody plant. And then you plant it into the moist hole and you plant it so it stands up a little high and you fill it in and water it and walk away. But before you walk away or walk away and go find something to make shade on that plant because those root hairs need a few days to regrow. I've been known to make little caps. Yes, I still get the Sunday New York Times to make little caps out of newspaper. And I just sort of fold it into a cup shape and tape it and stick it on the plant. I try to anchor it with a stone or something. Yes, it decomposes over a few days, but that's all I need it for is a few days. I learned that shade trick from a very wonderful plants woman in when I lived in Nevada. Nevada has some pretty yucky conditions for plants. And she was very knowledgeable about native plants and would plant in summer and have success. And I just couldn't, her name was Margaret Williams. I just could not understand. And she said, you have to shade the plant. She said, sometimes just use a a roof shingle. I think she was thinking of like a slate one, piece of slate, stand it up next to the plant on the sunny side, a piece of shade cloth, the garden umbrella, you can think of things to put to, to shade them just for a few days, just until they get those new roots. Mulch can't hurt either. Right. You're going to mulch up against that, that root ball that's standing proud above the field soil for sure mm-hmm. so that it doesn't dry out real quickly. And you can put a little bit of mulch on top of the soil as well. And then the other thing is establishment irrigation. And I learned a lot about this when I did my master's thesis in horticulture. Establishment irrigation, even for drought-tolerant plants, even for native drought-tolerant plants, has to be practiced for at least the first six weeks weeks of the plant's life. And that is to water, to check the plant every day and water the container soil that came with it as needed. So you're going to stick your finger into that soil up to at least the first knuckle. If it's moist, the plant is okay. If it's dry, then you water. 
and you water just the container soil. And then once a week or so, you water the field soil around it, along with whatever watering is needed in the container soil. And I did an experiment and we established, there was somebody else working with me, we established an entire acre of uh, woody shrubs in the summertime in Davis, California, using this process of watering the plants every day or so, because they dried out really quickly in the field container soil, and then once a week in the field soil around it. That's establishment irrigation. All plants need establishment irrigation. Proven Winners recently came out with an excellent uh, little newsletter about three tips for drought-tolerant gardening. And, of course, their first one was, well, choose the best low-maintenance drought-tolerant plants, which are usually native plants. For yes, but Liz chose some, sounds like chose some good ones, too. Yeah, yeah. Salvia and lavender uh, yeah. are, are fine. But the one of the main points they make in this little newsletter, and it's very important, is plan to water the first year. How many people you think buy drought tolerant plants and plant it and walk away and don't water it thinking well it's drought tolerant well if they do then they don't have a plan no that's well not for long <laughs> not for long and right. not in the summer yes and so yes so it needs that water and that water should be applied thoroughly maybe infrequently but at least enough to keep that root ball moist for the course of whatever the weather is yeah in the experiment that i did at uh toward my master's, we calculated in a lab the amount of water needed to rehydrate a one-gallon plant. All the plants we planted into the field were in number ones, commonly called one gallon, and it was one liter of water. And so when we did irrigate those container media only, and we actually built berms and things to prov so that we could isolate where the water went, we measured one liter of water and put that in the media. So a liter is a little bit more than a quart, so it's a little, what, a little more than four cups, which might seem like a lot. But to a plant and its expanding <laughs> root zone, not really. Yeah. And it depends on your soil, too. If, if it's a really sandy soil, you might have to apply more. Right, into that field soil. Yeah. And, of course, watering in the morning, I would think, would be more beneficial than going out when it's 102. Yes. Applying water. It gives that plant a chance to absorb that water before it starts to evaporate. Uh, watering deeply, again, uh very important. The other thing, too, is let's say you go to the nursery and you buy drought-tolerant plants and you put the plants outside someplace in their nursery containers going, yeah, I'll get to that eventually. And then it becomes 100 degrees or more, and they're still in those black plastic nursery containers. You could lose a plant in one day. Yes, you could for a couple of reasons. One you're going after, I think, is it'll use up all the water, totally run out. Yep. Suck dry, over it goes. The other is black plastic exposed to full sun heats the soil up to 140 degrees in 30 minutes. 140 degrees kills the roots. I have come up with an alternative plan for those small plants that I still have in four inch or one gallon containers that I'm still trying to find a home for. <laughs> the leftovers from my summer vegetable garden when it gets 100 degrees or so. Yes, I will water them in the morning, but in the afternoon, I will place them in a large flat bin that has maybe an inch of water in the bottom. Kitty litter pans. Yeah, kitty litter pan would be perfect for that. And just let, it raises the humidity a little bit and uh, keeps the soil moisture. Yes, it does. And you've put them, you've grouped them. This is really a container discussion. 
But yes, you've grouped yeah. the plants as well, and they can share the water from each other. And, and that's something to consider when you bring a plant home from the nursery. When you picked it out, I'll bet it was surrounded by a lot of other plants, mm -hmm. and I'll bet it was under a a little bit of shade. It may not have seemed like much, but those containers were shading the other containers. Those plants were shading the other plants and they were sharing the water that comes that, that they do push out of their leaves. The next plant gets to take advantage of not that it absorbs it through the leaves, but that it prevents, it slows down the water, not that it absorbs it through the leaves. It slows down the loss of water through that plant next to it. So being in a group like that is less stressful than taking that plant now all by itself, putting it out in the wild and letting the wind get to it on all sides and the sun on all sides. It's a pretty brutal thing being a plant. Yeah, especially when you don't have some $12 an hour employee coming by and watering you twice a day. Yes. So... Yeah, definitely uh, be more cognizant of your uh, container plants when the weather gets hot. But Liz, the droopy plants and the droopy leaves, again, you can't hurt to check the soil moisture, too. Right. Before you apply the water, yes. is check the soil moisture. Get yourself a moisture meter or dig down and see what that moisture level is down in the root zone, which, if it's newly planted, may only be a few inches deep. Yeah, you can see what is exposed when you take it out of the pot. Right. And see those roots. All right. Uh, yes, we will get through the summer one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Good luck, Liz. Good luck. All right. Thank you, Debbie. You're welcome, Fred. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not Smart Pots. There are satisfied Smart Pot owners who have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose Smart Pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate Smart Pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in smart pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of smart pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the smart pot. Smart pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com/fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code Fred. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Is misting any substitute for watering your houseplant? Does it, in fact, even raise the humidity around your houseplants? We get a quick tip from Rafael Delalo. He's author of the book Houseplant Warrior. He's a houseplant expert with a wonderful website, ohiotropics.com. And here's what he said about misting houseplants. It is not. And, and I know that's, that, that's a myth that is rampant everywhere. And I used to do it, you know, a long time ago. 
And it's not to say that there's no place at all for misting, but it will not increase your humidity unless you're just willing to stand there all day and pull on that trigger on the <laughs> on that sprayer trigger all day, in which case, you know, I would just recommend getting a, a humidifier. I mean, if you think about it, misting is humidity is a, a measure of water vapor in the air. So with, with misting, all you're doing is you're wetting your plant's leaves. So it, it's really not going to increase the humidity in your room at all unless you stand there all day with it. It does have its place. A lot of our indoor plants that we grow are epiphytes. And so they've evolved to absorb water through their leaves. And so if you mist your epiphytes, they're, they're going to, you're essentially watering them by, by misting their leaves. Another way that you can use a mister is, you know, if you have dry indoor air, especially in the wintertime, it will help to prevent spider mites to some extent because spider mites like it dry and warm. So if you can, you know, if you're misting your plants, if you have any plants that are prone to the to, to getting spider mites, that, that can help deter that. But it, misting will not increase humidity. That again, Rafael Delalo, author of the book Houseplant Warrior. Visit his website, ohiotropics.com. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams? But maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions. Such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. We get a note from Daryl who writes in, and says, I have a small orange tree variety, unknown variety, in my backyard. It doesn't get as much sun as it should because of a large redwood tree. When we first moved to this house in 2015, this tree was loaded with fruit. However, in each year since, there's only been one or two oranges on the tree. We have applied citrus fertilizer and water as normal, but still only end up with one or two pieces of fruit. We get tons of blossoms. And then we see the beginnings of tiny oranges, but most of them fall off soon after appearing. Do you have any ideas that might help? Debbie Flower is here, our favorite retired college horticultural professor, America's favorite retired <laughs> college horticultural professor, we should point out. And, uh, well, first of all, a lot of people this time of year may be experiencing, if they can grow citrus in their yard, uh, the, the phenomenon known as June drop. Yes. Which is where those small oranges or whatever citrus varieties may fall off the tree, just it's the tree's uh, way to avoid too much competition. Right. And that's a good thing, because if you, if it doesn't lose some of the fruit, you end up with a lot of really small fruit. Really. There are questions here that 
don't have answers that we don't know, Daryl. Like, are you pruning this tree? Mm-hmm. Because maybe you're pruning it at the wrong time of the year or you're pruning it back too much. Uh, and it's a, But it's a small citrus tree, he says. And the fact that it had fruit uh, when they moved there in 2015 and then each year since... It's only one or two oranges. That's interesting because I could see a, a citrus tree taking off a year after a bountiful harvest and then coming mm-hmm. back in, in the second year after the bountiful harvest. That's very common in all fruit trees. It's called alternate bearing. Yeah. And so for citrus, that's not unusual. But the redwood tree, ah, there is an issue. And yeah. we should point out, too, citrus like sun. Citrus like sun and have to have that sun to make the food in their leaves that then travels to the fruit and is trapped as sugar and helps the fruit expand and become luscious. And considering that citrus does most of its growing and bearing in the off season, that redwood is an evergreen. And if the sun is lower in the horizon from fall through spring, that tree may be getting less sun than you see in the summertime. And citrus, I would think, would need regular six hours plus of sunshine per day year round. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, that... Uh, Blocking the sun is definitely something to consider. The other is the competition in the root zone from the redwood tree. Uh, redwoods are, in my mind, notorious for being greedy in that department. Uh, the one I had, nothing would grow under it because of the shade, number one. Because of the the uh, mulch that landed there, so seeds didn't have a chance to grow the, the, the drop needles. But also because those roots just go wherever there's good stuff like citrus fertilizer and water. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you'd think the solution might be, well, I'll just water my citrus tree more. Well, guess who gets that water first? Right. And they keep, the redwoods keep their roots very close to the surface. That mulch helps them do that, yeah. that they create. They create their own mulch and they put their roots right in it and then they collect all the water and nutrients before it can get down to the citrus trees. Citrus do not have deep roots and they do not like to be deeply mulched. Uh, that can slow down their growth and their they're feeding, so that could be a problem. Redwood needles mulching the citrus too much, um, but I think it's more likely the competition from the roots and the lack of sun. And Daryl, I see you there in the garage. You're putting oil and gas in your chainsaw, <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get rid of some roots. Uh, oh, that's dangerous. Yeah, don't do that, Daryl, because redwood roots, uh, that, that's how that tree stands upright, is all that surface rooting mm-hmm. uh, keeps that tree stable. You don't want to remove any of that really spider web of, of roots uh, beneath that uh, redwood tree because it, it, it might topple. If you think you want to clear the area around that citrus tree of redwood roots, bring in an arborist. Let them make that decision. A consulting arborist won't do the actual cutting. If you have that chainsaw, you can do the cutting on the say-so of a consulting arborist. Uh, You can find a consulting arborist near you if you go to the website treesaregood.org. And that's the International Society of Arboriculture. They have a a table that lists the names of the individual who are... uh, uh, Licensed, and then they have some other table who they work for, what their company name is, and whether they're consulting arborists or not. Right. You just uh, go to the tab at the top of the page that says find an arborist near me. 
put in your zip code and you can find uh, regular arborists and consulting arborists and they can help advise you on that redwood tree. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. But yeah, citrus trees like sun, you may want to buy another citrus tree and plant it in an area out of the competition zone of that redwood. And citrus makes great container plants if you use a big enough container like a half barrel. So that's an option too. Daryl, hope that helps. Thank you. And uh, Debbie Flower, thank you. You're welcome, Fred. Perhaps after purchasing a plant for your garden, you may have seen instructions on the plant tag that read, add a rooting hormone when planting. You know something? That isn't necessary. Nor is fertilizing a newly dug-in plant. In fact, that might do more harm than good. In the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, we present the case against using fertilizers and rooting hormones at planting time. America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, will explain what rooting hormones are and what they should be intended for. And she'll tell you why you don't want to put any fertilizer in that planting hole when putting in new plants. It's in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's coming out Friday, July 8th. Find a link to it in today's show notes or visit our website, gardenbasics.net, where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter delivered to your inbox each Friday. Also at gardenbasics.net, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast, as well as reading a transcript of the podcast episode you're listening to now. That's at gardenbasics.net. For subscribers to the newsletter, Look for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter this Friday, July 8th. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. And it's free. Find the link at GardenBasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday. And it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.